In our society, we striving from a message from God. God's messages transcend age, gender, socio-economic status, ethnicities, religious persuasions, political affiliations, and cultural restrictions that encourage and inspire people to become saved, delivered, and set free from the bond of sin, as well as, gain a closer relationship with God. This is God's Inputs for You with Evangelist, Dr. Sharon Westbrooks. Greetings, I'm Evangelist Dr. Sharon Westbrooks, the host of God's Inputs for You on the Resilient Christian Radio Network. Thank you for joining me for this broadcast. I appreciate each of you for tuning in. Historians will probably call our era the age of anxiety. Anxiety is the natural result when our hopes are centered in anything short of God and His will for us. When Billy Graham wrote those words in 1965, no one knew how true they would be 54 years later. It appears as though anxiety and worry are woven into the fabric of our society. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illnesses in the United States, affecting 18.1% of the U.S. population annually. For many people worry about things they cannot control, and the amount of things outside of their control is overwhelming. They can't control the other drivers out there, so they worry every time they hit the road. They can't control their child's actions, so they worry about them every Friday night. They can't control the economy, so they worry every time the next hint of layoffs comes floating through their office. Anxiety creeps in when we don't get what we think we deserve. We had a bad childhood. Our first spouse betrayed us. We get passed over for that promotion that we feel like we rightfully deserve. When injustices is done to us, and it's done far too often, anxiety can settle on us like an oppressive blanket, choking out the joy and happiness that God wants us to experience. Although worry and anxiety are nearly everywhere, they are entirely overcomable because everyone can prevail over worry and anxiety. Today's broadcast will focus on overcoming worry and anxiety. People often use the terms worry and anxiety interchangeably, but they are very different. So you may ask, what is anxiety and what is worry? Well, I'm glad you're wondering. The American Psychologist Association defines anxiety as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like headaches and increased blood pressure. People with anxiety disorders usually have reoccurring intrusive thoughts or concerns. They may avoid certain situations out of worry. They may also have physical symptoms such as sweating, trembling, dizziness, or rapid heartbeat. Occasional anxiety is normal. It's, it's a normal part of life. They might worry about things like health, money, or family problems, but people with generalized anxiety disorder feel extremely worried or feel nervous about these and other things, even when there is little or no reason to worry about them. Although worry is defining a trait of anxiety, psychologists define worry as to referring to the thoughts, images, 
and emotions of a negative nature in a repetitive, uncontrollable manner that results from a proactive cognitive risk analysis made to avoid or solve anticipated potential threats and their potential consequences. Basically, worrying is an apprehensive expectation that something identifiable uh, to you may feel, you know, you may feel uneasy about. Although both anxiety and worry are associated with a general sense of concern and disquiet, how we experience them is quite distinct, as are the implications they have for our emotional and psychological health. Dr. Guy Winch, the noted psychologist, provides the following 10 differences between worry and anxiety. Number one, we tend to experience worry in our heads and anxiety in our bodies. Worry tends to be more focused on thoughts in our heads, while anxiety is more uh, it, dealing with uh, how we feel. It, it, it's, it's actually through our bodies. Number two, worry tends to be specific. Typically focused on one target, and we can identify the focus of our worry, tip, whereas anxiety is more diffuse and often not identifiable resulting in worrying about many things and for much of the day for that reason anxiety is more frightening and more harmful than worrying for example we worry about getting to the airport on time that's a specific threat because we may miss our flight right but we feel anxious about traveling that's a more general concern a clinical psychologist uh, that's uh, named Dr. John Mayer, expressed worry and anxiety occur in different parts of the brain. For normal bouts of worry develop in the prefrontal cortex, also called the thinking part of the brain. While anxiety, he explained, engages part of the brain that incites the fear response. I spoke about this before uh, in one of my previous uh, broadcasts. Anxiety prompts the limbic system, which controls your emotions and how you react to them, as well as your motivation and memory. Therefore, professionals consider worrying to be purely thinking, but view anxiety as something that is both cognitive and physical. That's why I'm telling you anxiety is worse than worrying. Number four, anxiety is, a physical, is as physical as it is mental. Um, according to Dr. Forshe, normal worry comes and goes in a short amount of time. So even though you might feel some tension, restlessness, and irritability associated with it, what you're feeling isn't the same as the psychological response that ensues from an anxiety disorder. Those who suffer from generalized anxiety disorder experience a psychological response as a result of their brain associating the worrying thoughts with an actual perceived threat. This throws the brain into a fight or flight response that generates an increased heart rate, sweating, feelings of tension, difficulty breathing. It's just horrible. Number five, worry is verbally focused while anxiety includes verbal thoughts and mental imaginary. Uh, this difference is important 
um, because emotional mental images such as those associated with anxiety provoke a much greater cardiovascular response than emotional verbal thoughts such as those associated with worry. This is another reason why we experience anxiety throughout the entire body, not just our head. Number six, worry often triggers problem solving, but anxiety does not. Worry can lead us to think about solutions and strategies for dealing with a given situation. Anxiety is more like a hamster wheel that spins us around but doesn't lead us to productive solutions. Indeed, anxiety's diffuse nature makes it less amendable to problem solving. So you have to really be carry, careful with anxiety. Next, worry creates mild emotional distress. Anxiety can create severe emotional uh, and physical distress. Anxiety is simply a much more powerful, uh, disruptive, and problematic psychological state than worry. Worry is caused more realistic concerns than anxiety. If you're concerned about getting fired because you did really poorly on a project, you might worry. But if you're concerned about getting fired because your boss didn't ask you uh, about how your child's piano recital went, then you're anxious. Hmm. Normal worry can pass pretty quickly, but anxiety lingers. According to the American Psychological Association, someone who suffers from a generalized anxiety disorder will experience three or more symptoms on more days than not for at least six months in a row. Normal worry, however, will usually fade quickly. Many people may get nervous about an exam, work presentation, or in anticipation of a big event. It may last for a short period of time, but quickly goes away and you return to feeling like yourself again. An associate uh, professor of, named Robert Gladder expressed that. Um, so we, we, we really know that this type of worry and anxiety is short-lived, but doesn't affect your overall life or ability to bounce back into your normal level of functioning. Next, worry tends to become controllable. Anxiety, much less so. By problem solving and thinking through strategies to deal with the cause of our worry, we can diminish it greatly. We have much less control over our anxiety though, as it's much harder to talk ourselves out of it. Next, worry tends to be a temporary state, but anxiety can linger. Once we resolve the issue worrying us, our worry diminishes and disappears. Anxiety, like I said previously, lingers for long periods of time and even jump up from one focus to another. One week we feel anxious about work, then about our health, then about our kids, then about our health, then about our work, then about our car, then about our job. Uh, you know, it's just one bounce from one thing to another. Worry doesn't impact our professional and personal functioning, but anxiety does. No one takes a sick day to sit and worry about whether their teenager will do well on their exam. But anxiety can make us feel so restless, so uncomfortable, and so incapable of concentrating that we might literally feel like we can't work. Next, worry is considering a normative psychological state, while anxiety is not. 
in the cartoon Charlie Brown, I read this recently, Charlie Brown once said to Linus, I worry about school a lot. He thought a little longer and then said, I worry about worrying so much about school. He reflected some more and then concluded, even my anxieties have anxieties. That is horrible because spending time worrying or anxious wasted time today clutters up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Some years ago, a professor at a leading American university studied the things that people worry about. His research discovered the following. 40% of our worries never happen. 30% of our worries concerns the past. 12% of our worries are needless worries about health. 10% of our worries are about petty issues. 8% of our worries are legitimate concerns. That means that 92% of our worrying time is wasted energy. But the great apostle Paul expressed that we are not even to worry about the 8% of the time. Why is that? Because when we worry, we're really saying that God can't take care of us. That our problems are bigger than his promises. R.H. Mansi once said, worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. Rick Warren expressed, worry is the warning light that God is not really first in my life at this particular moment because worry says that God is not big enough to handle my troubles. Jill Briscoe adds, we can worry or we can worship. It's like the weary Christian who was awake all night trying to hold the world together by his worrying. Then he heard the Lord gently convey, you go to sleep now, Jim. I'll sit up. Francis Chan conveyed, anxiety and worry implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. But we as saints of God know without a shadow of a doubt that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. Unfortunately, some saints of God forget about God's greatness. Some saints of God act as though they have no hope at all. However, I'm reminded of what Jesus conveys in the sixth chapter of Matthew. In this chapter, Jesus spends 10 verses analyzing the addiction of anxiety and urges us not to act like the pagans who do not believe in God. For when we worry, we are assuming responsibility for things God never, let me say that again, God never intended us to be responsible for because God will take care of us. I'm going to read Matthew 6, 25 to 34. It says, therefore, I say unto you, because this is Jesus speaking, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your father, your heavenly father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubic unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. 
And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for things of itself, sufficient unto the day in the evil thereof. We can conclude from the previously read scriptures that Jesus made it clear that we should not worry about life's necessities. Jesus conveys basically, do not worry. Instead of giving in with worry and anxiety concerning the need for food, drink, and clothing, disciples of God, saints of God's Son, were to look to his Father to make it possible for them to have life's essentials. The soul or one's existence as a person is more than just a matter of having food and the body is more than just an object to be clothed. Life as a human does not mean merely existing to eat and to wear garments. Through his father's provincial care, as Jesus points out, birds are able to obtain food, although they do not sow, harvest or gather supplies into storage places. Applying this lesson, Jesus raised the question, are you not worth more than they are? Who of you, by worrying, can add a cubic, which is a small amount of measurement, to his life? Everyone listening knew that their worth was far greater than that of birds and that worrying would accomplish nothing. Do you know you are worth more than a bird? As to clothing, Jesus called attention to the lilies or common flowers growing in the fields. Although neither laboring nor spinning, the flowers were robed in splendor exceeding that of Solomon, the wealthiest of the Israelite kings. Jesus could authoritatively say this as he has seen the magnificence of Solomon's attire. In view of the beauty which God has arrayed, the flowers that quickly fade and May the next day when dry be cast into an oven to set a fire, would he not also clothe the disciples? Jesus referring to them as having little faith implies he knew the disciples' tendency to be anxious despite evidence of God's care for creation. Jesus added that his disciples should not be like the people of the nation who do not know God and anxiously say, what are we to eat? What are we to drink? What are we to put on? For those people seeking life's essentials or being fully occupied by thoughts and efforts to acquire food, drink, and clothing was their whole existence. In the case of the disciples, 
Jesus continued, your father in the heavens knows you need these things. Seek then first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, what you need to wear, what you need to eat, where you're going to stay will be granted to you. Therefore, never worry about the next day for the next day will have its own care. God will take care of us. He will not overlook our need. Never will he abandon those of us when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus doesn't want us to be saturated with worry and anxiety. In Luke 21 and 34, he further conveys, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation drunkenness and the anxieties of life worry can weigh us down and like an anchor anxiety can cause us to sink spiritually even worse it can strangle us i forgot to convey earlier that anxiety comes from an old english word that means to strangle it was used to refer to the practice of wolves killing sheep by biting them around the neck, strangling their prey to death. That's the picture that Jesus was painting of how worry and anxiety can wipe us out. The one he said in Matthew 13 and 22, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns in the man is the man who hears the word. But. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, make it unfruitful. If you're struggling with worry and anxiety today, the first step to anxiety-free life and to, and to be worryless is to give your life to Christ. Once you've taken that step, it's important to fix your thoughts on Jesus and promise that he is preparing a place for his followers. He said it in John 14, 2 and 3. I know that giving your life to Jesus may not stop worrying and anxiety for everyone. Additionally, I understand completely that you may not be able to wheel yourself into living a worry-free life, but you can do it. You can overcome anxiety and worry. One of the greatest examples in the New Testament, other than Christ, that exemplifies our ability to overcome worry and anxiety is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had numerous reasons to worry. Imprisonment, uh, impending death, people in church were just cutting up. But in his letter to the Philippians, Paul penned one of the greatest testaments to the Christian's ability to live a life of joy free from worry and anxiety, despite terrible circumstances and situations in our lives. In Philippians 4, 4-9, Paul expressed, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, 
whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. From those previously read scriptures, I just love it because I find three actions to help us overcome anxiety and worry. The first one is pray about everything. Chuck Swinwald offers an easy to remember, sure cure antidote to anxiety that we should repeat over and over again to keep it in our mind. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. In Philippians 4 and 6, as I previously read, Paul began with a contrast between anxiety and prayer. He conveys, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It is a repetition from what I expressed in the, uh, in the sixth chapter of Matthew. Uh, Paul notes saints of God should not be anxious about anything. This doesn't imply or a complete lack of concern by no means, nor does it mean that saints of God are not to be that, that we we can be careless and, and not have concerns. Instead, it means that we should not be fearful, paranoid or uneasy because we are not alone. We are not self-dependent in the midst of difficulties and the dangers of life. God wants us to know it is possible to rise above worrying and anxiety by casting our cares on him who careth for us and knowing that we are simply uh, cold. We are his children. You know, the Apostle Paul, I, I really love it because, you know, he he had such good outlook on how we as Christians should handle anxiety and worry. Now, I want to start right here to deal with prayer. Uh, when I convey prayer, I'm not speaking of that superficial experience many people suppose it means. <laughs> because many people think that prayer is asking God to give us something that we want. Gimme, gimme, I want, can I have? God, gimme this. God, please, gimme that. I want this. Uh, gimme this. But there is a far higher region of communion than that in prayer. In which our soul seeks and it finds and it sits and it gazes and it expires, possesses and possessing, aspires and 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 it goes beyond just the gimme, gimme, I want, can I have. It's where there is no spoken petition for anything affecting our outward life. Not asking for cars and houses and promotions. There are, I read where McLean expressed, there may be the prayer of contemplation, such as the burning seraphs before the throne do ever glow with. The prayer of silent submission in which the will bows itself before God. The prayer of quiet trust in which we do not so much seek as cleave. The prayer of still fruition. These. In Paul's conception of the true order precedes supplication. And if we have such union with God by realizing his presence 
by aspiration after him, by trusting him and submission to him, then we have the victorious antagonist of all our anxieties and the cares that infest the day shall fold their tents and silently steal away. For if a man has that union with God, which is affected through true prayer, as McLean just, as I read that McLean just conveyed, it gives him a fixed point on which to rest amidst all of the things that are going on. It is like bringing a light into a chamber when thunder is growling outside, which prevents the flashing of the lightning from being seen. Therefore, instead of anxiety, we are to humbly and gratefully approach God with whatever is on our minds. Mature prayer includes thanking God for what he has done in addition to asking for help in areas of need. Now, this is the Christian's prescription to reduce anxiety in all the areas of our lives. It doesn't mean, you know, that we're going to live a worry-free life, nor does it mean additional help. We, we won't have to ask for additional help sometimes. But what it does mean is it, it shows that addressing problems in our lives should begin with prayer. Prayer is always seasonable, always necessary, and always profitable. Our lives are to be saturated with prayer. Um, one pastor put it this way, pray so much that worry has to take a number and stand in line. <laughs> the path to inner peace passes through prayer. Now, the second thing is to prepare your mind. Some of us are stressed out simply because we've been allowing our minds to focus on things that bring us down. Uh, wrong thinking leads to wrong feelings, which can lead to wrong living. Consequently, right thinking leads to right living. What we put into our minds determines what comes out in attitudes and actions. What we believe determines how we behave. Warren Worsby offers a helpful saying, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. So a character reap a destiny. Proverbs 23 and 7 in the King James Version puts it this way. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. In Philippians 4 and 8, the Apostle Paul introduces an eight precept or I'll say precepts of, refer, of, of reference to help us control both our inner thoughts and our outer actions. He conveys, and I read it previously though, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. We are to think about these eight kinds of things, which means we are to ponder on them continuously. Um, in detail and, and, and in a logical manner. Well, I want you to notice that these categories, they're broad and they're not necessarily religious. We're told to think about whatever is true and right and pure. 
This word is repeated six times and with each time the, the circle of appreciation should grow. We must be deliberate about what we allow ourselves to think about. Just as good food is necessary for our body's health, good thoughts are necessary for our spiritual health. Some of us are neither joyful nor peaceful because we allow our thoughts to control our behavior. Did you know that the average person has 10,000 separate thoughts each day? That works out to 3.5 million thoughts a year. I read an article in a magazine recently that captures how easily our thoughts can uh, just wander and go helter skelter uh, and I'm just gonna just give you a little highlights from it um of uh, 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 17 minutes this is like 17 minutes in one woman's day as she drove home from a convenience store she conjures up three comebacks she could have hurled at a co-worker she spots the baby shower invitation on the dashboard and schemes a way to be out of town she sizes up a woman standing at the bus stop and judges her. She um, stews over a comment her brother made behind her back and uh, crafts a letter telling him off and sounding righteous in the process. She reviews the morning's argument with her husband and plans the evening installment. She replays memory tapes going back to the 60s trying to change the endings. Somebody drives up the road shoulder and budges to the head of the traffic jam and she hates the driver with a perfect hatred. She passes Audrey in her garden and waves but thinks, if Audrey's sick, I'm a flying Walinda. An inner voice tells her to turn off the radio and pray, but she decides it's the voice of the devil. Ooh. She's angry about God because here she is a Christian and broke while her good-for-nothing heathen of a brother is rolling in dough. Lastly, she tries to pray but doesn't get past our Father. Now, the article concludes, uh, concludes if you were to ask the lady what she had been thinking about on the drive from town, she would say, oh, nothing in particular. And you know what? She would not be lying. Now I wonder, what kind of things do you think about? It's a choice you make. Someone once said that you may not be able to keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building the nest in your hair. Now, I just want to su suggest some practical ways to let your mind dwell deliberately on the positive. Fill your mind with the Bible reading it daily, memorizing it, and meditating upon its truth. Commit to regular worship. Expose yourself to things that reflect the goodness of God regularly. Fellowship with believers. Uh, make that a priority to fellowship with believers. And listen to... Christian radio stations that are, I want to say, biblically based. And then watch what you watch on TV as well as 
your social media outlets. The last thing that I want to tell us is practice what you know. In Philippians 4 and 9 that I previously read, the real key for us is not more information. It's application. We have to start living out what we know to be true. If you want peace, you can't be passive about it. Pray and prepare your mind. We can nod our heads in agreement about the truthfulness of Scripture, but until we practice what's been preached, we're just going through the motions. Some of us find ourselves saying something like this, I know what the Bible says, but there's no but. The Apostle Paul wants us to turn from contemplation to pr practical life. We must translate into action the precepts we receive from the Word of God. For after we pray about everything, prepare our minds, and practice what we know, we can count on two assurances. The peace of God will protect us. Philippians 4 and 7, once we present our request to God, His peace will come flooding into our lives. Go back to Philippians 4 and 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that it's God's peace and only He can give it to us. Instead of stressing, we can begin singing again. Psalms 94 and 19, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. This peace transcends all understanding, which means that it goes way beyond all that we can even ask or imagine. It excels and surpasses everything we could have hoped for. In fact, we can't even put into words. Our minds can't even fathom this kind of supernatural peace. In John 14 and 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. <laughs> I love that. Isaiah 26 and 3 echoes this truth. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. When our minds focus on the right thing, God's perfect peace keeps us steady. The word guard is a military term meaning to protect or camp or as, as they marched around securing that which was valuable and strategic. When God's peace floods our lives, it will protect our valuable heart from wrong feelings and a strategic mind from wrong thoughts. The enemy will be unable to get in where God's peace protects us. And secondly, the God of peace will be with us. Oh my God. Philippians 4 and 9. We do not live the Christian life in our own strength. God is with us. Mm -mm -mm. And the peace of God will be with you. I know that living in this fallen world may give some lots to worry about. But living in a relationship with Christ can free you from ever having to worry about anything. No matter what happens in our life, we don't have to worry about it. If we choose to rely on God to keep you, he will keep you in perfect peace. And saints of God, remember, God wants so much more for us than to walk through life full of anxiety and worry. Also, don't forget to take advantage of what's available on this earth. Remember that God blessed 
the world with psychologists, medicines, research. These are not something that need to be overlooked at as the enemy to, to you know, they're not the enemy. Um, they are something that God has offered as a way to improve some of our lives. You're not insulting God by looking to others for help. You're showing God that you're thankful for the help that he's made available to the world. Excessive worry and anxiety are just like any other illness. High blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, asthma, and etc. And we shouldn't treat them, you know, anxiety and worry any differently. You take medicine for those things. You, you see doctors for those things. You can see a doctor for your anxiety and worry. And if you are in a crisis or looking for help with anxiety and worry, please contact the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can reach them by calling 1-800-950-6264. Again, that is 1-800-950-6264. Oh my God, my time is out. But I don't want to end this broadcast without sharing with you that John 3 and 16 conveys, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Additionally, Romans 10, 9-10 conveys, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you believe, Romans 10, 9 and 10, sincerely, I ask you to pray this brief prayer of salvation with me. Gracious God, our Father, I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for my sins, and you, God, raised Jesus from the dead. I ask you to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me so that I might serve you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you prayed the previous prayer with me, you are saved, meaning you are a child of God, a new creation. All of your previous sins are forgiven. For that reason, please read your Bible and pray every day. Join a church that teaches the word of God. Well, I appreciate you listening to this broadcast. You may follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Please become a RCR Network uh, subscriber. And remember, what I say unto one, I say unto all. Watch and pray. Live holy every day. Remember, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. I love you. God bless you. Make wise choices. Thank you for listening to God's Inputs for You with Evangelist, Dr. Sharon Westbrook. Tune in next time with D.R. Westbrooks about God's word for your life. Somebody ought to celebrate the awesome God. God's Inputs for You is copyrighted by Evangelist, Dr. Sharon Westbrooks Ministries, and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.